The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello, and welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that it inspires you, because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the show. Uh, With me today, I've got Nicole Moyo. Um, She is an urban and architectural designer holds a position as a contract instructor at Carleton University at the Azrieli School of Architecture for the Masters of Architecture Professional Practice course. And she has a passion for human-centric design, master planning, innovative and disruptive sustainable development, community engagement processes, intelligent future thinking, and Africa, her beloved continent. Uh, Her work, Rising, was recently selected as one of the six international finalists for the 2020 Miami Design District Commission. And in 2019, her work was recognized on multiple international design platforms, including the World Architecture Community, Dizen, and Arc Daily, where two of her drawings were selected as the best architecture drawings of the year. Frame Magazine issue 129 identified her as an anthropocentric thinker and emerging designer. Uh, focusing on future-forward, off-grid design concepts. And we're going to get into the rest of, of Nicole's story. So I'm very happy to have you here, Nicole. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Aziz. Awesome. So let, as we always do on the show, we start from the very beginning. Okay. Um, so, yeah, tell us about your upbringing, where you grew up, uh, where you went to school, how you ended up, uh, you know, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, let's hear everything about that. Okay, that's a very long story. <laughs> But um, I'll definitely start. I was born in Zimbabwe. I don't think people my age say which year, but I was born in Zimbabwe. Uh, My at an early age, my family, my dear parents Margaret and Fortune, moved to Australia. Um, They were pursuing their masters, so they took me along. Uh, And from then on, uh, telecoms had just boomed in the world, actually, and uh, they needed engineers who were versed in that in South Africa, so my my dad moved there, and we followed. I remember visiting him from Australia one uh, Christmas, and uh, when it was time to go back to Australia, my dad's like, you guys aren't going anywhere. (laughs) So, yeah, we kind of just jumped across a continent and started a new life. Um, And my parents were really well established in um, the country because they were uh, kind of 
immigrants coming in at a at a really good time uh, when South Africa was just coming out of apartheid. So um, they were very fortunate to have the jobs that they they had and were very successful. Um, which means I was fortunate enough to go to a really good, or I had a really good um, education. Um, I went to Watercliffe Primary School and then to St. Mary's DSG. Hi, everybody from St. Mary's DSG. <laughs> Honestly, the best school. Um, and I'd say, you don't want to say those are the best days of your life, but it was really a time period in my life where I was um, really molded into, you know, I'm here to talk about more focusing on leadership, but um, I was really surrounded by a lot of women leaders. Mm. Um and they were all very unique in what they did. Um, so we were only competitive in getting what we needed to get right in our lives, um, which is nice. Uh, and unfortunately, we had a, a smash and grab, uh, which is like a, a crime incident, um, the year before I finished high school. So I was convinced I had to leave mm. the country. And my dad had come to Canada on a business trip, and he loved it. He's like, try it out. So not knowing anything, I think I Googled um, Nova Scotia or Halifax, and I saw a beach. I was like, of course I'm going to Canada. There's a beach (laughs) there. Um, Only to arrive in Ottawa. And two months later, you know, the worst snowstorm <laughs> recorded in a very long time. But I came uh, specifically to study architecture. Um, my parents didn't really want me to become an architect. You know, yeah. every every parent wants you to become a, let me say African parent, wants you to become a doctor or a lawyer. I think there's like the triple threat, doctor, lawyer, engineer, one of those. Yep, yep. Um, so I really had to convince my mom about uh, this architecture career that I wanted to go on. And uh, when I came, I actually didn't get into architecture immediately. Um, the following year, there was a new program called um, Urbanism uh, within architecture. And funny enough, I just loved both. So I was the first to graduate from the program, and it was really awesome um, how far in my life do I need to describe here? Oh, as as <laughs> as much as is, is interesting, but but let, let, let's walk back for a minute. Okay, yeah. What you know? What made you think about architecture as a profession, okay. as something that you wanted to study? Um, and how did you actually convince your parents to right. let you do that? So let's, let's only hear that. One parent needed to be <laughs> convinced. Um, actually, my grandfather. He was a builder. Uh, both grandfathers, actually, um, were in construction. And my parents, in you know their success, they were able to build um, their own home. Mm. And even before that, I was a very DIY kid. You know, I'd pay, build whatever I could. I'd make desks. I'd make chairs from uh, watching a lot of TV shows. Um, but it's not like, I'm not like a lot of people who say they were building Lego blocks and they knew they wanted to be an architect. I don't think 
that's true for me. I think I found my two passions, which were art and science, and a place where they merged. And I was fortunate to watch the process of my my home being built um, with my parents. And it was very hands-on, very, very hands-on. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to do this. So I bypassed my parents, and I went straight to my grandfather, and I said, I'm going to study architecture. And he was like, great. Nice. And then, you know, like as the king of the castle, no one can say <laughs> <laughs> no one can say anything. Um, and, yeah, he was proud. Nice. So that's all that matters. Well, that's very good. That's very good. So, so you're... You came to Canada when? How old were you when you came to Canada? Um, touchdown, 18 years old, uh, very naive, uh, in a nice way, yeah. in a very nice way. I think it's it's good to be naive. Um, and like I said, I didn't, I didn't even know what the process was to become an architect. Mm. It's it was. I, I feel like. Um, because I was coming into an entirely new environment, you know, my peers at school knew after school we need to uh, work a bit or you need to do your master's to become an architect. I can't even call myself an architect right now. And uh, had I known that it would take so long to become an architect, I would have just listened to my mom <laughs> <laughs> and become a doctor, you know, like seven years, same difference. Well, it would probably have taken you equally as long, right? Uh, given the specializations and fellowships and that right. you'd still have to do. So uh, I don't think you'd have turned out uh, badly either way, right? Um, so that, that's good. That's good. Um, in terms of your, you know, your African upbringing, mm-hmm. right? How do you think that sort of prepared you for life here? Hmm. I think there's... There's this discipline that, in a very nice way, again, a discipline that, um, and a respect mm. for others that um, African parents are really good, and community, I don't even want to just say parents, and community um, that help you acknowledge who you are and your place in society, right? It's, it's got nothing to do with your profession, I mean, obviously, it's it's more focused on age, but it it allows you to respect others, and I think in doing that, um, you know, it was it was a tricky transition when I came here, and you know, I'm barging through doors with people. I'm not greeting people mm-hmm. when I come. I'm calling people by their first name. I'm like, ooh, you know, you go back home after one semester and you try that, and it's like. Who do you think you are, you know? Um, So I think that kind of knowing your place in society, just as a human being before you are anything else, Mm. um, really shaped, you know, the way I interact with people here, at least. Um, I have a great respect for other people. Mm. Okay. Um, So going through school here, going through school at at Carleton, you're studying architecture, um, urbanism, um, and all aspects related to that. Um, what happened upon graduation? What did you decide that you know you were going to do immediately after graduating? What was that first step into getting into the mm. field of architecture as a career? Mm. Um, 
this is where I'm going to already start speaking about mentorship. Um, I'm really good with people, uh, including my professors. I, I made sure to make a somewhat of a relationship with them because I don't have the network that I have at home, right? Um, at home, we were at school with president's children. Here, I know no one. Uh, so I know the importance of relationship building. Uh, when I was done the first time, like I said, I was quite naive and didn't do enough research on what I was getting into. So I finished school and realized, one, I was an immigrant and my visa was going to expire <laughs> <laughs> in a few months. And two, um, if I was going to continue with the profession, I needed to get a job or um, I needed to go into my master's. At that time, my parents were like, look, funds are quite exhausted here, so maybe look into getting a job. I was very, very fortunate because of my relationship building. Um, I had an amazing mentor. Uh, his name's Jim Mountain. Um, he had written a recommendation letter for my master's program, which I got into, but then I declined. I wrote a letter and I said, thank you, due to funds, I won't be continuing. Um, and they responded with a, please continue and we'll give you a job at the school. Oh, wow. So okay. as an international student, you're like, what? Because yeah. like, most grants and funds are for locals. Um, so, I, I mean, it's not just about the, I worked really hard, you know, I had great grades, but I think the combination helped me take the next step. It was, it was definitely not just me. I had a lot of help along the way. And of course, my parents were excited and supported every way they could. Nice. So, so you, you were able to work through your master's program, mm -hmm. uh, graduate, and then move into real industry type work. How, how did you get that first job outside of university? Wow. So this is where the story got, you know, that hustle started. Um, I moved from Ottawa to Toronto. Um, again, uh, I don't even want to say I'm a small fish in the big sea. I was like dust, like the sea sand. <laughs> um, and I, I just didn't know where to start. So, of course, you have a mentor. Uh, my mentor, Jim, is like, you, you reach out to whoever you can. And I met a lot of people, and you send a lot of emails. But if you are not from a place, you just don't know how to navigate it in the same way. Um, so one day, I, I had I had an uh, an, an period where I wasn't able to work at all because, again, immigration. Um, but I applied for a job that I knew I couldn't get, which was an urban fellow um, position with the city of Toronto. I learned so much in that job application. I was like, wow, I'm so enlightened. Okay, I know what I want to do. I, I studied architecture. I have this great thesis project. I presented it at one conference. It was tiny. You know, um, I met somebody there who I wanted to work for, um, Urban Think Tank, and he was like, 
you know what, Nicole, you're just going to end up going where you need to go. So I was like, okay, that's, that's not a job. I need a job. <laughs> um, so when it was a tough time, I'll say, because I didn't know whether I was going to move back home or I was going to actually get a job. And so I decided I don't want to go into architecture. I want to understand policy because I want to have influence um, with the projects that I'm doing. And the greatest influence I can have is at a government level, but governments talk through policy. So I said, okay, let me go into planning, something I haven't even studied so I applied to the Canadian Urban Institute, which takes planners uh, in as interns. Uh, I sent them my portfolio. I wrote them this letter. And the director, Lisa, she called me in. And she's like, why do you want to work here? You are, you like studied architecture. I was like, yeah, but I need to know about policy. Um, I want to have influence. So... She's like, okay, I told you I'm good at talking to people. So I got the job. It was an unpaid internship. Um, but at least it was a foot in the door. Um, and I I went to that job every day like I was getting paid. I put my heart and soul into it. Until one day I saw a job posting. Um, and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to apply. I applied at two places, got in at both, but funny enough, the director of the Canadian Urban Institute was neighbors with um, the principal of the company that I work for now, mm. so my recommendation letter came in <laughs> pretty strong. Nice. Hopefully, they're good neighbors to each other, or street neighbors, they all live on the street, same street, um, but I got my foot in the door, and I was so grateful. Um Again, naive. Right. Starting the job. What was the journey like in this company uh, getting you through, you know, the growing pains of learning the industry mm. in a different country um, to where you are right now? Mm. Okay. So I think, and maybe I'm speaking like every other person who starts a job uh, or gets into the industry and it's their wasn't my first real job and I've totally skipped a, a job that I had with um, right after school I did get a job um, but I'm speaking specifically as, about my job where I am now I was so excited every little task they give you you're like oh my gosh I'm doing these big things oh my gosh like I'm drawing lines <laughs> 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 for this community you have all these formal meetings. It's the corporate world. You're just, it's like a relationship that you get into. You know, everything looks great on the surface. And not that underneath the surface it's not great. But again, I didn't really have a clear plan for myself. Uh, when you just want to get in, you want to get in. So I was so happy to get a job as an urban designer. And there's a backstory to that. Um, I always told myself I wanted to be an urban designer. In fact, I I walked into the dean's office. When I say walked in, I, I didn't make an appointment uh, at the University of Toronto. And I told her, hey, I want to be an urban designer. And she's like, hey, you have to work. I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Um, 
So getting the job title that I did without going through the school process was already a miracle. Mm. I was like, this is meant to be. And, and what's that job title? Urban designer. Urban designer. There's very few in the world. It's, it's, it's a new profession, but not really. Um, it's planning and architecture and landscape architecture all together. Mm. So you have a really enriched knowledge about cities, environments, open spaces, everything. How people experience movement and dwellings in their day-to-day lives. You have a direct influence on all aspects of it, which I really enjoy. Um, I got to work on... uh, I Not that I get bored very easily, but I remember one day... My uh, principal walked into the kitchen and he's like, Nicole, do you want to do a competition? I love competitions. So I was like, yes, I do. It's very competitive. Um, Not knowing he wanted us to compete for the largest uh, waterfront development in Dubai. It's Mm. called Mina Rashid. So um, he's like, okay, do it. Lead it. So myself, um, my work favorites, Otto and Juan, uh, as well as Gail, we, and there was a, a, a there was a bigger team, but I'm, I'm speaking about them because we, mm. we really worked hard. Uh, we ended up winning the competition, uh, which is awesome. Wow. So, so wait, hold on. You first time leading anything of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. Or a place where, you know, arguably has one of the best, most interesting type of unreal architecture in the <laughs> world. <laughs> and you win this for, for your small firm out of, you know, here in Toronto, Canada. Uh, wow, that's impressive. Well, yeah, the team uh, won. Yeah. And yeah, it was impressive because we're impressive. Also, <laughs> we're a really impressive team. Um, it was so fun. We... You know, I feel like as designers, we really cared about the place that we were designing, even though we weren't physically there Mm. or we wouldn't be experiencing it. Um, It was a different design brief. Usually, you know, if you're designing within Canadian cities, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of parameters. You can't really have a lot of fun. We got to have a lot of fun. Mm. Like, you're designing a beach that doesn't exist, right? Um you have a client with an insane budget. So we were quite modest still, even in our designs, you know, floating houses and I don't know, a lot of craziness. Uh, Looking forward to going there one day. It's it's definitely one of those projects in my life that I, I feel like, you know, if I could do that, and again, it's if you're in the right team working with the right people, um, you can do anything. anything. And yeah, there was no, there was no space for ego mm. in our team. We just, we just wanted to get the work done. Nice. So, so let's, let's talk about challenges, mm-hmm. right? And, and challenges, uh, not just in your career, but in life in general, leading up mm-hmm. to this point. Um, what are some of them that you faced, uh, whether it was in school, whether it was, um, you know, uh, in going through your, your master's, or at work, and then also, you know, 
the intersectionality of being a, a black woman as well throughout all of these. Right. Okay. There's so many questions there. Um, if I was a pessimist, I'd call my whole life a challenge. Mm. If if I was a pessimist, but I'm I'm really optimistic. From the moment I landed in Canada, the challenge was, you know, to finish the task, right? You get the goal done, not waste my parents' school fees uh, that they paid for. So much so that I remember one semester in school taking eight classes instead of the normal five. Um, wow. Yeah. And I made sure to ace all of them. And it's not that my parents put any of that pressure on me. I just knew how much money they were paying. I knew the sacrifice um, they had and many parents have when they send their child overseas. Um, And so the challenge for me was to always make sure I didn't let them down. They never never put that pressure on me, Mm. but I put it on myself. I didn't want to let them down. Um, That's a challenge. As a black woman, I find this this topic so interesting because uh, yesterday I watched the the um, what is it called Fresh Prince of Bel Air uh, reunion, and there was a scene that they replayed with um, uh, Will and Carlton when the police stopped them and they had different reactions to when the police uh man came to the car these are two black men right will was very um timid and worried about it carlton was like the police officer is like he's neighborhood buddy and he's just checking on them uh and in the same way i i i think that episode i was like aha because i have a different black experience Mm. And I think even within the black community, we should acknowledge that black people have different experiences. Again, in a good way, we can enlighten each other. There are certain pains within the black community that I have not experienced. And I don't want to take a a, a flag and wave it and, and lead in that way. But I feel like... Uh, being successful helps everybody, yeah. right? Um, so again, it's challenging for me to say what struggles have I experienced as a black woman because I only needed to identify my blackness when I moved to North America, hmm. right? When you grow up in Africa, you're just black, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and the racism, is it's direct. So you deal with it directly. Mm. Um, I struggle with, and and I don't want to start putting that um, garment of, on myself of feeling like I'm a black woman in a space. Mm. I just want to be a designer or an architect mm. or a person. Um, so yeah, those are those are some struggles that I have in my mind. Mm. Sometimes I don't blame. I don't want to blame things on I'm not being promoted because I'm black. Mm. Uh, If I'm not being promoted, there's a system failure because I should be promoted. Um, 
and let's work on that so that everybody gets promoted. Right. I don't want to get promoted because I'm black. Right. Um, challenges. My biggest challenge was immigration. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think people know how challenging it is to move to a country and only if you've experienced it will you really know it people from the outside see like oh, okay you just left home and and i'm not only speaking about the immigration process because yeah there's a system in place and you need to follow it but leaving your comfort zone leaving your home leaving your family leaving everything you know uh, and justifying why you leave that every other day, you know, even when you're doing well in a place like Canada, you wake up and you're like, why did I leave again? What, what is, is this worth it? Um, I know you probably want to hear some like terrible challenges that I have. No, no, I don't, this is, I don't this is exactly what we want to hear. <laughs> yeah. It's different okay. for everyone. Yeah, right? it is yeah. different. Um, like I said, I'm really optimistic. So even mm. the little things that happened to me, I'm like, it's for a reason. It it was directing me in the path that I needed to go. Mm. Um, I have a lot of faith, so that, that helps. Um, I will say, I did have a challenging work year I had last year. And I blame people, not uh, companies. You know, uh, I'm hoping no one really listens to this from <laughs> work. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I, I think in workplaces that people really lack confidence and their lack of confidence trickles down to control. And that control creates anxiety for people like me. I'm not uh, immune to anxiety I'm very, very confident, and I lost my confidence um, in my work last year because I'm another person in a workplace or people in a workplace. Um, so that's something that I'm climbing mm. out of and reassuring myself of, even though I have a lot of success outside of my workplace, because I, I almost have two different careers, um, within my workplace, I, I'm still trying to like put my feet on solid ground and have that naiveness because that naiveness is really what makes you excited to work. But when you start to realize people as you know the broken human beings that we all are, then yeah, it gets work gets challenging. And do you feel that that some of that feeling comes or exhibits itself in form of like that whole imposter syndrome situation where uh, you don't feel the confidence because yeah, you know your stuff, mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem to be translating or, or the, the, the response you're getting doesn't feel as satisfactory as you think it should be. Or is it something else? Hmm. So uh, my BFF at work, Juan and I, we speak about the imposter syndrome Quite often. To be honest, I don't fully understand it. Mm. I think I call a spade a spade. If I'm not confident, I'm just not confident. It's something that I'm dealing with in that space and time, and I need to deal with the root of that. 
I feel everybody belongs where they belong. If you worked hard to get to the place that you are in, if you have the talents that are yours, they belong to you, you're not an imposter. Like, none of us are imposters. Unless we're acting like something that we're not, then you know personally that you are an imposter. But otherwise, you you deserve to be exactly where you are. Your talents are unique mm. to you. Um, I think that social media and things like that maybe make people feel like there's more of an imposter syndrome because you are portraying a certain element of yourself and you're trying to maintain that and and then things just get complicated because you just lose as humans we should fail we should feel incompetent at sometimes these are good things depending on how you look at them because they help you navigate life maybe you're in the wrong space mm. so if you feel like something's wrong like go and evaluate your situation and readjust and get into the place that you deserve to be where you're not an imposter. No, that's, that's really good advice. And, and, and I like that. I like what you said about, you know, you might just not be in the right space mm-hmm. and, and that's a, a cue or a trigger for you to start thinking about what to do next or where to move to exactly. where your natural confidence will thrive um, a lot more and, and you'll feel more, more comfortable that's awesome. So let's talk about, you, you mentioned, you know, your skills with relationship building <laughs> and just, just being a relationship person. Yeah. Um, you know, talk about some stories where, you know, you've really sort of <laughs> leveraged that to the max um, in ways, you know, most people in the same situation probably wouldn't be able oh to. Oh my gosh, Aziz, you're asking questions because you know information. <laughs> so I have to be very careful about what I'm saying. Can we pick a context, please? Um, up to you. <sighs> okay. Um, there's many, many, many occasions uh, where, you know, my relationship skills have been uh, very helpful. And they don't come from nowhere. My mom is an amazing uh, relationship builder. Or she just knows how to negotiate life. You're negotiating life, right? Um, So, (laughs) I remember this one time, actually. I don't know if I really negotiated anything. But I I went on this road trip with um, two of my architecture friends. We're like, we want to go to Montana. And we drove from Saskatchewan and of course, because it's a rural border, you don't really know you're crossing into the U.S. Mm. So um, we drove in a Canadian desert. I'm calling it Canadian desert for however long. Mm. And we get to the border and we see Montana. We're like, we made it to Montana. So we see the American flag. But then we're like, oh, my God, are we in America right now? Mm. We haven't gone through immigration or anything. We just drove through the border. Am I allowed to say, oh, shit, on this? So we were like, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I just don't did. even think my parents <laughs> know this story. <laughs> um, so we turned the car around. And 
We saw the Montana sign, which is what our goal was to take a photo next to the Montana sign. Okay. But we're like, oh, okay, maybe we should turn around because, like, aren't we in America? So we turn around and there was a loop and there was a little house. So we drove right past the house and all of a sudden sirens went off like, Imagine like in the movies, like <laughs> when a, like somebody's stolen something and there's like a cash heist and like all the sirens went off. Like the police officers came to us and they're like, where are you going? You've just crossed the border. We're like, no, we just did a U-turn. Like, and they said, come, come to the, the border gate. Uh, so did I have my passport that day? Did my friend have his passport? Did my friend have an affidavit for the car that she was driving that wasn't hers? All of this to say that we had to be charming and kind and nice, and we made it back. (laughs) I'm I'm shortening the story. (laughs) And we made it back into Canada um, without any immigration issues. That is hilarious. Um, I was worried that day, I must say, because if anything went wrong, I probably wouldn't be a citizen right now. Yeah. I would have had a flag uh, where they say, have you, you know, on the forum, have you ever been denied entry? Yeah, that, that's funny. That is very funny. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't tell you the whole story. Amazing, amazing. Well, I, I guess you, you need those types of skills at some point to, to get you out of weird situations like that in life. Um, be kind to people. Yeah. They're like, you yeah. know. Awesome. So, so let, let's talk about some reflections and, and, and lessons that you've learned uh, across your journey. Like how, how we'll, we'll start with what you feel is your own life or leadership philosophy. Mm-hmm. What is that? And, and how did you come to, to have that as your, your personal philosophy? Hmm. Okay. So I think for that, you even have to think of yourself as a leader. Mm. So I'll go back to my high school where I literally it literally was the breeding ground of leadership um I had many leadership roles there and I was really myself uh so I've brought that same kind of thought pattern into just life just be yourself uh even in school they you know my my girlfriends they even when you started to pretend like you were something other than you were, they would call you out for it. Mm. I wish I could call people out for this all the time. Um, Because I don't think leaders are one particular thing. I find that people, when they get into leadership roles, feel like they have to be stern and unapproachable and play more of a dictator role or or be like removed from their team Mm. whereas as a leader you're fully a part of the team fully a part of it um but i think my personal understanding is to be authentic even with the new skill sets that you get um in leadership like organizing things um strategizing strategizing sorry um for certain things you can still be authentically yourself Mm -hmm. in that um we are going through this 
kind of internal audit at my workplace. And, you know, as black people, there's almost a, a bit of whiteness that we put on ourselves when we're, not everybody, I don't want to speak for everybody, but in general, yeah. uh, when we speak about leadership, like, oh, their their words are so clear and listen to that accent. <laughs> and, you know, even at home, we just naturally have respect for people who speak in a certain way. But if you were just brought up like that, I, I think I just don't really value those things as much. I look at the character mm. of someone. And I think we've learned this year and every other year that character matters. Right, absolutely. Um, you can pretend to be a leader all you want, but if your character is rotten, you know, from the inside, then your leadership is going to last almost not forever, mm. for sure. You, you will need to step down at some point. Um, so, yeah, just be yourself, the, the best of yourself, the mm. good part of yourself. Not a, not a gangster leader, but like a, you know, a, for the people. Empath yeah. Be empathetic. Yeah. No, that's really good. I, I like that, just being authentic mm -hmm. um, and, and focusing on character. Yeah. Right. Very, very good, good philosophies to have. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is, you know, holding black leaders back? Mm. I, I think that's part of it. This authentic mm. authenticity. It's it's almost I mean, this is just a quick observation, you know, um, I I think a lot of people waste time trying to be the leader that other people are that other people are mm -hmm. and leading the way other people lead i think it's good to take inspiration from people but not mimic them mm. um <sighs> but the black question is so complicated because um it's filled with opportunity um gaps it's filled with educational gap like you know we're we're in a system that wasn't created for us right we we had a role in the system that we're trying to break through now and the role was never leadership mm. um so firstly understanding that and then starting to break the system that we're in and asking the right questions about it i think that's where the true leadership comes in yeah you can be a ceo of a company but they still won't listen to you. Even as a CEO, they, you know, I've seen black leaders and, you know, they'll, they'll listen to second in command if they're not black, mm. right? Um, it's challenging. I feel, I feel happy that there's more black leaders these days. Like, I'm like, get it. Like, fill that space. But as you fill that space, don't become what they, I'm just saying everybody else, uh, has been, like, s start something new. Mm. Create a new path, like, um, an authentically black or authentically yourself. It doesn't even have to be black uh, path. Because I, I know that even Asians struggle with this um, 
whiteness or westernized way of leading. But that's not to say that our leaders um, on the African continent, those ones are complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Those ones are complicated. Yeah, quite. Um, Yeah, leadership does not mean control, dictatorship, and greed. That's, That's not leadership. When you think back to, to, you know, your life up till this point, all right, what would you say or what would you think of as um, defining moments uh, in your life? And, you know, what did you learn from, from those, those moments? Uh, deep questions. Hmm. Um, uh, I... I, I want to speak about career, but I, I also just like to focus on myself as a person. But they're the same. They're one and the same. Um, I think one of my defining moments was, I think, speaking at Design in Daba. Um, what year was that? In I think that was 2015. No, 2018. 20, okay. 2018. I think it was really um, a, a, a crazy time for me because it was the first time my parents, in my eyes, not that they didn't think this, but uh, because the conference was in South Africa, because it was this international conference and there was so many eyes on it, um my parents actually got to see what they paid for. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. What they produced. I felt proud and honored to be there as their child. Um, And then from then on, I, I really relaxed. Like, you know, I felt like, you know, no matter what happens in life, right? Um, Because, we're going to leave this earth one day. You know, I, a lot of people say, I wish my parents were here to see this. Mm-hmm. I wish my parents were here to see that. I was so glad my parents were there to see that. Right. Um, so that was a really, really monumental moment in in my life, having them there. They came in last minute, like we always do. We're last minute people. <laughs> but we show up. Um that was huge for me, and my and my uncle get got to come as well from Harare and a friend, and then you're hanging with like Kanye's architect and like all these all these things that you can't you don't really imagine yourself doing, and then you start to question who you are, mm. um, and then even in those settings, Aziz, it's quite interesting. You know, you on the outside you would think oh, this person's made it, or they're making it, or they're growing. But I think when you enter a new realm, quote-unquote, of people who are much more accomplished than you are, you're starting at zero again, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, So you feel small again, and you feel under-accomplished again. Even though you're accomplishing all these things, it's hard to describe or explain to people that, like... Yeah, it looks great, but inside I feel like I haven't done 
anything mm. compared to the people I'm around. So even this, even having this discussion with you was quite, um, you know, when when you sent me a message, I was like, I don't really have anything to say because in my mind I feel very small still. Mm. And I feel like there's a lot to accomplish in a good way, right? Um, so we'll see what happens. I'll listen to this one day and be like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So on, on that vein, though, is there anything that, that scares you? Everything scares me. Um, the scariest thing is being a, miss, missing out on, on my parents' growth. Like, it's weird because, mm. you know, you should grow up and spread your wings. and There's a cost to success. If, if I'm calling what's happening in my life success. Um, there's a lot of sacrifice. You know, you lose friends along the way because they don't understand your priorities or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I fear like, I fear that I'm missing a, a big chunk of their lives. Like every time I go back, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're aging, mm. you know? Um, do they know me? Do I know them? Of course I do, but like these are things you just think of. Yeah. Um, that scares me a lot. And then, um, another thing that scares me is just settling. Like I'm settling right now in the job I'm in. Mm. Sorry again to whoever's listening, <laughs> but. I'm itching to do like really good, great things in this world, mm. and ah, uh, the really here and and in wanting to do that, my greatest fear is my ego. So, um, I feel like naturally you're like, whoa, these things are happening, and your ego grows a little bit, but you, I feel like I need to make tame it all mm. the time. Uh, so I have this fear that God will take things away from me if my ego grows. He won't, mm. but I just fear it. But it keeps me humble, which is good. Um, yeah. I also fear that... I fear I won't always be in environments that allow me to grow. Mm. Like, And then how do I get out of that? I have tons of fears. Tons. Do, do you feel that where you are right now is keeping you from that expected growth or that desired growth. Yeah, and the the dangerous thing about being in a in a comfortable place is you forget your dreams mm. somewhat, right? And you're focusing more on how to get out of the situation that you're in and less on like, this was my goal. Like, this is my ultimate goal. So going home for me, and I don't even mean to South Africa, I mean going home to Zimbabwe, my grandmother's house, just being detached from things. Like, that was really the birthplace of, you know, wanting to instill a lot of, like, international change, mm. uplifting communities. Um, I always tell the story, but, like, before I did my research project, which has allowed me to 
to propel in many ways. I was at my grandmother's house, and it's it's DIY, right? It's mm-hmm. DIY out there. Um, sometimes there's electricity, sometimes there isn't. You know, when there isn't electricity, you you DIY, you do your thing, you you make it work, because um, you need to eat and you, life needs to continue. But I remember one time it raining cats and dogs outside, and. We were stuck in the house, so I went to the tap, and I opened the tap, and there was no water. I was like, how is it raining cats and dogs outside? I'm opening the tap, and there's no water. This Mm. doesn't make any sense to me. Um, But my grandmother, like many other people, uh, collect water outside from the rain, or when um, the water finally turns on, you store it. And and then I was like, "Uh aha. Like, like I, I want to empower people. People are already empowering themselves. But let's formalize people empowering themselves because you don't need to depend on governments. Mm. And if we can get everybody their basic needs, then we can focus on things like education, right? Because basic needs have become this thing that governments use to, to negotiate votes mm. for themselves, right? But in my mind, if if we can focus more on getting people what they need, then they can ask the governments for things that they want. The same way we do in the Western world. Yeah. We're not voting for anybody because they're going to give us water or toilets or electricity. Those aren't our concerns. Um, so that's something that's really really important to me. I even forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, man, it was it, we, we started off with what's what what scares you. Uh, uh, and we've gone down this path. But okay. but that's but that's beautiful. That that's the the nature of these types of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe a, a a last couple of questions, right? What what's next for you? What actually let, let's let's let me ask this cuz you talked about dreams, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about um being too comfortable in a situation that you forget your dreams. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the dreams that you do have mm-hmm. uh, and weave that into what's next for the rest of your life. Mm. Okay, I believe in speaking things to in, into existence. Yeah. So I'm going to say this. Uh, in my naive days, I used to say I'm going to have a consultancy that is similar to the United Nations, maybe not at the same scale, I don't know, whatever God wants to do with it, but that uh, I would be consulting for governments, communities, municipalities of all levels. Uh, My dreams are wildly big. Mm. Um, I want to build a a museum. I want to build... you know, you know when your thoughts are going faster than your words. Yeah. That's what's happening <laughs> to me right now. Um, I want to be an author. Uh, so I have a vision board in my in my bathroom, and crazy thing is, so many things on the vision board have already happened. So I need to update it. But yeah, I want to be a international author, focusing primarily on. African history mm. uh, and history is in also yesterday is also African history. I don't mean like ancient. Um, 
getting that narrative out because uh, I did grow up in South Africa where there's a lot of otherness, right? Especially with um, people from the same continent. I learned more about people from the same continent when I left Africa than I did yeah. within. Yeah, which is an unfortunate thing for a lot of us as Africans. We discover yeah. our Africanness. Uh, and 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 the diversity of Africa. Yeah, when we're out of the continent, which is yeah. so strange. Yeah, um, it is crazy. So I I have I have this big mission, and I I, I want to have a publishing company, which also falls under the same company. It's called Good. I had a dream about it. Very good. <laughs> yeah, G U D. Um, I woke up one night, and God's like, write this down. So I wrote it down. I hope I registered before this comes out. <laughs> oh, I, we, yeah, we can take care of that for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it should be fine. But, um, oh my gosh, yeah. But you know what? It doesn't matter what my dreams are, even if I don't accomplish but they're there. those things. The My purpose in life, which goes back to my name that my parents gave me, uh, which translates to Nicole Nomsamoyo's Victory of the People, Grace, Heart. Right? Uh, my mission in life is the victory of the people. Mm. Whatever I'm doing, am I making people victorious? Um, am I elevating their livelihoods? Mm. No matter what I'm doing, even if it's in, in teaching, which I'm doing now and I really love, um, am I helping others? And if I'm doing that, no matter what I'm doing, I'm, I'm really happy. Um, but, it, but I also have really big dreams. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, well, Nicole, th- this has been an awesome conversation. Really, very, very awesome. Very <laughs> deep, deep conversation, which I, I'm sure will resonate with quite a few people. Uh, but before we go, let let's do our rapid fire session. Five oh, no. questions. Um, and giving your best answers as quickly as, as possible. This is where it gets tricky. <laughs> so, so what is a book that you're currently reading right now? The Bible. Honestly, I want to pretend I'm, I'm reading some philosopher. <laughs> uh, but the Bible is the only book I'm constantly reading. Cool. Uh, what would you say is your favorite productivity hack or tool? Hmm productivity hack like anything anything yeah i'm the biggest procrastinator so um uh, i don't know i don't know (laughs) what is a productivity hack anything that you use to keep you productive oh pressure yeah Yeah. that's the best thing for me just put me under pressure oh my gosh diamonds very nice outside of that beads from the dollar store (laughs) good what would you say is your favorite place to escape to? Um, my parents' house. Uh, okay. My dad, he always hangs out there. Yeah. And what, which city is home exactly? In Pretoria, in Watercliff. I won't give you the address. Oh, of course not. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and who would you say is your biggest supporter or cheerleader? I have so many. Honestly, I have so many. Biggest, biggest, of course, my mom and dad. Nice. Of course, like, I can't. Uh, and then I have incredible friends, and I, I'm not going to name them because I'm going to 
you know, they didn't yeah. focus on the order. Yeah, and, and who, who wasn't was named. <laughs> and then, of course, my fiance. <laughs> Fantastic. And last question. If money or resources were not an issue, what would you be doing? Hmm. I would have a TV show and I would call myself Nopra. <laughs> Nopra. <laughs> just putting an N in front of Oprah. Um, yeah, I think it's weird. I, I think I'd be on TV talking to people, having good conversations with them. Um, or a painter. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you for joining us uh, on the show uh, today. This is fabulous. Uh, we look for stories like these. We look for leaders like like yourself, uh, people that, as we say, are made to lead. Uh, because yeah, the stuff that you're doing does impact and influence people, whether they see your face or not. But they're going to feel your work in in the stuff that you design. Um, so very much appreciate having you on the show. Thank you for having me, Aziz. This was a lot easier than I thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're a great host. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with others. Also take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show, and by visiting our website, madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, madetolead.co slash getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead. <laughs>